0: In today's episode of the Iman Wire podcast, you know, we talk about tr- transmission of Islam as, you know, the Quran and the Hadith, that's great. All of these things are fantastic, but there is an element of transmission that is the experience of having been with people who, who were pe- with people, who were with people, who were with people, all the way
1: back up to
0: the Prophet Wasallam.
1: Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Iman Wired podcast. Salim here from Iman Wire, joined by my co-host Ghaidar. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. All right, and joining us today is our, our dear friend uh, Dr. Muhammad Rilan, a repeat guest to our podcast, but someone we haven't had on for a while, and uh, want to welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa, rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I think if we look at the current news cycle, if you will, in um, the Muslim community, especially in in North America. There's been a lot of talk about the celebrity sheikh. There's been a lot of talk about this culture of edutainment, as we could call it. That's sort of been, I think, been put under the microscope. It'd be interesting to hear some of your thoughts, uh, Muhammad, about just actually, you know, where we are right now in terms of Islamic education and and where have, uh, how did we get to this point where where we are today of this edutainment type phenomenon that we see.
0: Uh, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad, um, it's, 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 it's an unfortunate state of affairs because we there is a misunderstanding of, uh, with regards to how religion is supposed to be taken up and what religion is supposed to serve and how you're supposed to learn it and how you're supposed to take it in. Um, you know we have this culture of uh uh conferences and let's make some videos and let's just you know and do the videos with the emotional background and and people say like oh we don't play music but then they'll have the humming in the background um so that they can promote whatever you know gaidar to- was one of those guys
1: i think <laughs> <laughs> mhm mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know that like and, they, and they'll do that and it's all of it is just to generate this ambiance there is this attempt at creating a, a spiritual you know you call it edutainment I call it spiritual spiritual attainment you know you're trying to create this ambience a spiritual atmosphere um, through this medium which is you know now it's YouTube and Facebook live and Facebook videos or whatever and you're meant to get some enlightenment out of that the problem is, you see it in how the community responds to crises. You know, the, this recent situation that happened with the celebrity sheikh and the celebrity culture, people have basically split it up into sects and it's uh, either against or for, and it's all emotions. You know, nobody, if you ask people about specific details about anything, nobody knows anything, and you shouldn't really be even going into that. The problem is, you, when you take your religion in an individual form, in piecemeal fashion, Where you sit at home or you're on the bus or you're in the bathroom looking at your phone and watching videos um, that are basically clip, snip, you know, five-minute maximum because, you know, you got to get that viral effect. And it's interesting the terms that we use even, viral. You know, medically speaking, viral is not a good thing. So you have these viral videos that go off. And it's usually like some short little Nugget that people can share, you know, and and they go with that, and then they they run with it, and they say like, oh, fine, I'm 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 getting enlightened, I'm getting spiritually enlightened that way, and then they're drawn to the personality itself, you know, I'm I'm reminded by um, Neil Postman and amusing ourselves to death. He has a chapter on this, the use of television and generally media to uh, promote religion, and he's and towards the end of that chapter, he says something like. We don't have religion in television. We have television in religion. Now it's it's a different thing, where the religion itself is being formulated in a way that attracts people. And when you're in this type of medium, where it's just it's a it's a really difficult equation to be a part of, because on the one hand you want you want to serve Islam. I I, I believe and I trust that everybody that's involved in all of these works. They genuinely want to serve this religion and they want to propagate it and they want to share it with people. And so they start off with that. But then there is the the economic reality of these things cost money and for you to be able to produce something of quality that would have people kind of sit through and watch, you need to attract them in a way that gets them, all right, I'll pay you. I'll give you my money so that you can do this. So now what are you going to end up doing? You're going to end up giving people what they want as opposed to giving people what they need. The Prophet Sallallahu when he started his message, by and large the majority of Mecca was like, uh-uh, we're not buying this. But it wasn't something that they wanted, it was something that they needed that he was coming with. And it wasn't until a long time, it took a while, it took 23 years before this whole thing really manifested to the degree that it should have and then it took over. So. When you have religion get, uh, designed in a way now that is promoting, you know, and we care about numbers because to, for you to get the, enough funds, you need to get a lot, a lot of numbers. So now you're promoting what people want in a way that will generate the most number of people so that you can generate enough finances, enough funds, so that you can do the work that you intention, you started off at the offset with a, pro, with a good intention. The problem with religion is that Religion is a lot, I like to compare it a lot like going to the gym. You know, you don't grow in the gym, you don't, or you don't improve your body unless you go through some difficulty. You put through yourself through some stress. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even says in the Quran that أَحَسِبَ النَّاسُ لَا يُفْتَنُونَ Do people think that they can just declare that they believe um, and uh, they'll be left alone and not be tested? وَلَقَدْ فَتَنَّ الَّذِينِ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ We've surely tested the ones that have come before them, so that we, Allah, would make manifest, would make known who is truthful in their belief and in their faith, and who is not. So, part of the religion is to be tested. Part of the religion is to be made uncomfortable. Part of the religion is to be told, what you're doing is not right. Well, the medium that we have now, that when you use YouTube and uh, and Facebook or whatever, where you where, where it's driven by likes, that's the thing. This this thing goes by likes. And uh, you know massive reactions. Well, that's not going to come out from somebody telling you uh, Having a a conflict with your values and when you have a system that is dominated, you know the the YouTube and all these guys that you can watch now just some of the conservatives and the grievances that they have with these media They don't get the same attention. You know, they can have lots of views, but they don't trend because the people at the top that are writing writing these algorithms that promote these things, that want these things to go viral, they're all liberal, left-leaning. Religion is more of a new age spirituality to them. Um, so that's to the, that's to the degree that they will accept it to. And so you're going to come in now and you're going to tell people, listen, uh, your behavior is not right and this is how you fix it. And the, the problem with behavior and cognitive behavioral therapy, if you want to use that term, it's, it's a, an ongoing thing. It's not something that you're going to get from five minutes where you just sit through a video, you listen to a message, and then it's like, great, I feel good, now I can go on. I personally did not have any – I don't get the impact just from personal experience and just watching others. The impact on people's behavior is not something that you can generate in a five-minute session. That's why you have psychotherapy and you have cognitive behavioral therapy sessions that go on several sessions before you can finish your therapy and then you can say that I've now done something. You look at people that are, I don't know, look at Alcoholics, for example, and Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12-step program. You know, they have to go to their meetings all the time. And these meetings are not sit at your home by yourself and just log online and 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 watch a video. No, you have to physically be present and actually share and be impacted by other people's experience. There is a, an element of communication that, you know, we talk about tr- transmission of Islam as you know, the Qur'an and the hadith, that's great. All of these things are fantastic, but there is an element of transmission that is the experience of having been with people who who were with people, who were with people, who were with people, all the way back up to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That experience got transmitted through. The spirit of the prophetic spirit is transmitted through these scholars. And if you're not going to sit at the feet of these scholars and be in their presence and be impacted by their presence, who are people who... You would think that they've worked on themselves for a long time and actually see them in all of their forms. You know, the thing with social media and with YouTube and stuff, you curate it. So I can present to you an image where, you know, it's like that uh, video that came out uh, just a while ago. This guy was being interviewed, I think, by Al Jazeera. And uh, he was this big scholar of some, I don't know, some field in in politics. And he had the suit and tie and everything. But he was in a position where his son was uh, doing a prank on him and he was filming him from behind and the guy was wearing shorts underneath, like his house shorts. So he's on camera to the television wearing a suit and tie and all of that. But then the full image that his son played a prank on, and he laughed about it and stuff, but the full image was he was just wearing his house shorts underneath. He wasn't really dressed up. But when you sit with a sheikh and you go into their house, you know, alhamdulillah, I was blessed enough to be with people like that and actually sit with them and experience their being and see them in their, in their day life. Now you get this proper expectation of what it means to be somebody who is in, in this path of seeking knowledge, that you're working on yourself and, and changing yourself and you're experiencing what that feels like. As opposed to, I'm going to give you this curated image, five minutes then you know and you know fi, the, the, the Arabic saying fil, uh, uh, fi, what is it uh, fi, uh, fi rijali baqaya, uh, khabaya, that there are some men left in the world who are actually men and like with uh, with uh, chivalry and fil, fi khabaya, in the corners there are hidden things well you need to be with people of knowledge who have actually experienced these things to really get that teaching and have it imparted on you in a way that will leave an impact on yourself but when you look at the the responses that to this recent scandal, drama, whatever, you actually see a gap between people who have actually studied this religion, which are the scholars and the way that they're discussing it and the discourse and the language that they're using, and the general masses. The responses in the comment sections in, in Facebook posts. You see the gap and then you look and then you look and you see, all right, so it looks like there's five hundred thousand followers over here. But for the most part, that sheikh who has studied and he's been trying to use this medium to communicate the message, something got lost in translation because the comments are reflecting the state of the people and the state of the people is not reflecting uh, a teaching that actually took hold. That should worry people. That should worry teachers.
1: Right. But you know, a lot of, a lot of this phenomenon, um, I want to backtrack a little bit and look at some of the roots of why, why this has happened because Mm. Some of this, this a lot of this has predated the social media age. This idea of getting like these this sort of uh, temporary hit of a spiritual high. of just hearing like, a, yeah. a, a, like a, of a great speaker like you you know the, the, the heyday of the Islamic convention of you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago. That, that was way before social media, but that was that was that was representative of a trend in our community where we were only getting those um, those quick hits of getting that rush. Uh, uh, that was you know, very short-lived and then we go back about our day. It wasn't that uh, that constant process as you were talking about of sitting with a scholar and getting... But you know getting-
0: what? There is a difference though. That Those conventions, because I have gone to these conventions before, my whole start in all of this was actually from a convention. Sure. I went to a convention. That was my first direct exposure to something like that in a way that where I was like, I want more of this. Where do I get more of this? And sure enough, they had like an extended retreat afterwards where you can spend some extra time, longer time with fewer people. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you. I
1: I think, and the reason I mentioned that is because I feel actually the response that we're seeing a lot where people are decrying a lot of the things in like celebrity, the celebrity imam, celebrity sheikh, this whole uh, Islamic education uh, scene, uh, that a lot Mm. of people are unfairly criticizing uh, a lot of those efforts, like, you know, there, I've seen people basically talking about like conventions and conferences and all of this was, and people just looping it all together, like all oh, this is the same problem. All of this is this, you know, commodification of uh, Islamic education. When as you're saying, yes, no, there was actually, there is, there was actually a lot of good from, and there still is a lot of good from events like yeah. that. As If it's, if it's to, to guide you towards that Um, to try to seek more but the point is I think a lot of the way people I think consume it is that it's just a temporary they're not they're not being directed well um, I mean of course I mean uh, and then you have to think about it that way you know Islam
2: is speaking to people in the language they understand the language we understand in the 21st century whether it's in America or elsewhere you know is the language of entertainment and the language of appealing to you know the uh, consumption, you know, in, in a sense, whether that's uh, you know a word of wisdom or uh, a song or anything else under the sun. Uh, but then, uh, when we come to you know, you know, before talking about the economics of it or how people are attracted to it, uh, you know, I, I guess I wanted to you know bring us back as well to the idea of edutainment when we first started talking about it as a term, because when you talk about education. Uh, as a form of entertainment, then we associate, uh, you know, like people in academia uh, talk about entertainment, we associate uh, that with fun. And therefore, uh, you know, it becomes very dangerous because, uh, you know, uh, you know, when we're not, uh, having fun, we're going to stop learning or, uh, you know, and also works backwards that really learning becomes an obstacle <laughs> in the, uh, you know, path of us getting entertained. Uh, and, well, and, and it that... doesn't
0: have to just be about fun, Gaidar. It's um, uh, the thing with the, with edutainment or spiritual attainment, um, the way that I would look at it is because uh, it's not just about amusing people. The way that the religion is transmitted now for you to attract people is you have to talk more about, uh, let's say, like for example, when you study Aqeedah, they tell you that the proper station of a believer is between fear and hope. You hope in Allah's mercy. Mm-hmm. And you're also feeling a little bit of fear that Allah is also Shadidul al-Iqab. He's very grave in punishment. Yeah, And you recognize the reality of heaven and hell. When you do it through an edutainment lens, though, where you give people what they want, people don't want to talk about God's punishment. They right. don't want to talk about hell.
2: Well, because it's these not fun. Tab- because it's not. It doesn't fun. make you fun. feel good. Yeah. It doesn't make you. It fe- doesn't make
0: you feel good. Yeah. Exactly. So you have to talk about. All right, Allah is merciful. Whatever you did, and sure enough, yes. You know, it's uh, it's sad that you have to point these things out because. Uh, In a way, when you do point them out, it feels like you're diminishing the reality of Allah's mercy and his uh, wide forgiveness and all of that stuff, which we're not trying to do. But you you just recognize who the Lord is. And at the end of the day, if Allah wants to take some people into the hellfire, he doesn't have to justify it to anybody. This is a and this is his dominion, and he's But at the same creator. time, also,
1: you know, you know, that also didn't come out of a vacuum itself. It's also a response to what a lot of people's perception was in, and say, their early education, maybe in, in, in and I think uh, the mosque and its position in the community plays a big role here. Is that people's. Previous education in Islam, whether it's from their parent parental generation or from like Sunday school or whether they're learning teachers, there was a lot for a lot of especially people who were born Muslim that. This education was uh, number one. It was it didn't appeal to their rationality. Uh, It was very focused on just very dry rules. It was very focused on the punishment aspect of it, which is important, of course, as we know. But people, you know, have gone the other way now. Where so yes, if you talk about you know hellfire and you talk about um, you know some of those uh, quote unquote negative elements. Um, then, you know, those type of people are sort of shouted down, like there's mercy in this religion and you should, you should focus on that. So is, that just, is this just a, what I'm saying? Is this just a response to uh, what I think has been sort of the root of the problem, which has been the, the devaluing and the, um, the, the failure of the mosque in our communities and the local teachers in those communities to promote a, a, a very well-rounded uh, Islamic education? Because a lot of this stuff has grown out of the failure of uh, of mosques, basically, uh, you have the unmasked phenomenon, which is uh, which people talk about. You know, we had a previous episode with Sheikh Yasser Fami where we we spoke about this a, yeah. a little bit. But you know, a lot of that is rooted in that, and 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 people have have been leaving. Islamic education in the mosque for 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 a lot of reasons, but one of them is that is that reason. and is, is and also also because people just in general, I think we get to talk about, you know we're we're talking we're we're going to criticize like Islamic organizations. We're going to criticize Islamic conferences. we're going to cel- uh, criticize the celebrity sheikhs. But I think I've, I rarely see people criticizing or take or, or, or looking at ourselves. We're the ones who are consuming this. There's a reason why that is being presented to us is because, people are finding out that the only way we respond to anything is by, well, we only respond to like positive content. We only respond to stuff that makes us feel good, those mm-hmm. five-minute videos.
2: Right. But then like uh, also I wanted to uh, bring, uh, you know, uh, maybe solicit more feedback from you, Muhammad, on, um, you know, the fact when you mentioned, you know, for instance, when we had those uh, recent um, kind of uh, debacles with uh, certain uh, teachers that are uh, with, a great social media fo- uh, following and then at the same time when these uh, issues came about with certain conduct you know you had two major camps uh, that are uh, in my point of view a result of this edutainment, because those who don't care basically did not even bother but those who are within the circle either uh, you know attacked viciously in a way that mm-hmm. is uh, totally uh, you know, uh, not within the tradition or within the Islamic, uh, you know, uh, boundaries of, you know, verifying facts or talking about certain ways uh, ways of conduct or, uh, you know, how you conduct yourself, even uh, uh, in a tweet or a comment. And then uh, bet- and the, at the other camp, uh, and on the other side, we had the other camp who are diehard fans who uh, blindly, you know, kind of, you uh, you know, defended or, you know, came out also with their, you know, swords of lack of adept, you know, in a way that was totally unbecoming of anybody who is, you know, benefiting, you know, from such edutainment, you know, if you will. And I guess I wanted to, you know, looking at the results and being very repulsed by, you know, as, you know, many, one of many people who were looking at these, you know, interactions, I kind of thought like, well, you know, this is maybe a result of that kind of edutainment. It it was just the bread, you know. Like we didn't, we didn't have the uh, you know the uh, the chef come out you know. And uh, sorry, you know, <laughs> I hail from Jersey, that I'm using it. We're gonna use a Italian restaurant uh, kind of thing, you know. So <laughs> you go to an Italian restaurant and they bring out the bread, you know. That's the edutainment, you know. Yeah. You kind of start dabbling, but like if you keep eating the bread and the and the and the meal is not coming out, you know, everybody's gonna be like kind of lost, you know. So uh, you don't get the real meat, you don't mm-hmm. get well. The that's real, interesting because the you, real you value, get full, of it. right? It's and like they're you, full yeah, you
1: you get full by this junk
2: exactly these you empty eat, carbs right if we were to follow this thing the accuser uh, the accusers of entertainment are saying well the real scholars are not coming out the real chefs are not coming out with the real meals you know they're just letting people eat bread mm-hmm. and then uh, at the same time you know uh, the uh, you know those who are just eating bread are just bloated and, and kind of, you know, don't get me wrong, I really love bread. <laughs> but, you know, the idea is just that uh, unfortunately the result of this system is just make making me scared as an individual, you know, like of even delving into this talk, you know. Like, you well, know, I'll tell so, you something.
1: So.
0: Uh, I'll tell you something. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he talks about sectarianism in the Quran, he describes it in an emotional term. <laughs> Every sect is joyous, is in a state of joy with what they have. Um, And so this emotional state, by implication, there is no rational thought involved there. So if I take you back a little bit to the colonial period, you know, 19th century, how um, the French and the Italians and the English, when they went over to North Africa and to Arab lands and they took over, and before leaving, what they've done – This is something that I can't recall the name of the um, researcher that did this work at this moment, but she wrote this really interesting paper about this where she talks about what happened to the education system in the Muslim world pre- and post-colonialism. Pre-colonialism, your education was largely at the mosque. So you went to the mosque, and in the mosque, you studied everything you studied not just the Arabic language and the Quran and the hadith, but if you were interested also in astronomy, for example, you studied it there. If you wanted medicine, that's also in the same area. I mean, the uh, Al Qarawiyin in Fas, Morocco, there is a room there where they will show you, like this was where the autopsy room was for people that studied anatomy that were trying to be uh, physicians. So there was this kind of an integration of, and if you look at a lot of the works of Muslim scholars, that wrote about quote unquote secular or material sciences and i hate using these terms because i don't really buy their validity for us but let's just for the sake of this is what everybody uses material sciences when they wrote about them you look at their introductions they look at the actual text that they wrote there's always this inter uh, intertwining of spirituality or you know religious rhetoric involved inside of it they'll always appeal to some verse in the quran they'll bring there was this integration between the, what Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala says in the Quran and what Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala has produced through kun, through be, the, action, the act of be, so it becomes. So Al-Qur'an Al-Maqru, so this is like the Quran that you recite and Al-Qur'an al Mashood, the Quran that you witness. And there was always this intertwining between the two of them together. What that produced for people is this holistic vision of what it is to be a Muslim. You know, this idea of dualism between the spirit and the material, or the idea of secularism where you divide religion and, and, and so called secular world issues, this wasn't really a thing for past Muslim scholars. What happened during the colonial period was, you know, when the Muslims' lands basically were being taken over and, and pillaged and taken and the resources were stolen pretty much, what the Europeans wanted to do, because a lot of them didn't want to come down, the, the main driver for colonialism was not any of the rhetoric that they talked about with regards to exporting their civilization or their enlightenment. It was about resources. It's a lot cheaper for you to get cotton from Egypt and have people manufacture your clothes and then send it over. So what they did was, all right, how do we do this in the most cost efficient way? We need to enlist people, local population, to do this work for us because our people are not willing to go down there and they wanna stay in Europe and enjoy whatever we have luxuries in Europe and at the same time benefit from all these resources. So there was this parallel education system that was created in the Muslim world where you took out um, all the things that were useful for the military, for industrial revolution type of purposes. All of these things were taken out of the masjid and put into a parallel education system and leave the mosque, separate the mosque and anything to do with Islamic studies, leave that separate. Now take the most intelligent people, you know, in the past for Muslim scholars and anybody that has even taken a preview of the Islamic tradition would readily recognize this. It takes an immense intellect for you to say, I want to be a Muslim scholar in the past. And the reason for it was. You kind of had to study a lot of things, and and it wasn't just about the Arabic language and tafsir and hadith. You also had to study medicine, you had to study astronomy, you had to be aware of what's going on in the market, so you had to be somewhat of an economist a little bit. You had to understand law, because you're studying law as well. You had to know logic and philosophy and rhetoric, and you had to also be erudite, and you had to study poetry, and you had, you had to encompass a lot of different things together in one person. So to be a Muslim scholar, you had to have a formidable intellect for you to get to that point. But now when you have a situation where you separate these two and you say, all right, anything to do with the Islamic tradition, we're just gonna keep that in the mosque. Anything to do with benefiting people in the world. And note, I gotta bring people back to this, you, your, 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 your knowledge seeking for material benefit was always linked before that, was always linked with spiritual benefit. So I wrote this short vignette in Andalus Online about uh, the golden age of Islam, science in the golden age of Islam, where al-Khawarizmi, and I just shared basically the introduction, I translated a part of the introduction to his book on algebra, and showing that the main driver for the introduction was the caliph at the time instructing al-Khawarizmi to, because he was a mathematician, and he told them, we need you to come up with a system to help us calculate our inheritance laws, because that's in the Quran, we also need a system to help us do the commerce and the trading in the market in a fair and balanced way where people know exactly what they owe and what they're owed. So come up with something. And so he starts off with this elaborate introduction, all referring to the Quran and the Sunnah and, and then the request of the caliph. So all these things were intertwined together. It was this holistic worldview that people operated with. So there wasn't this issue of clash of so-called you know knowledge bases or religion versus science or religion versus the world or any of that stuff. But after colonialism, when you separated these two, you basically took all the engineers, all the physicians, all the economists. You took all of these people that do things for the benefit, for practical benefit, utilitarian benefit of the world. You've removed the spiritual, so quote-unquote, spiritual element from their education. So they're not studying Quran, they're not studying Hadith, they're not studying any of these things. They're not getting grounding in the Islamic tradition, and they're just basically working on their brains. But the matters of the heart are not being addressed at all. So it's not just about, so their religion basically becomes inheritance, um, where they just learn how to pray just by watching people pray. But how do you behave? Why do you behave the way that you behave? What is the meaning behind these rituals? All of these things, they're lost, they're lost on them. And you actually see it today uh, with the way that they approach religion. So now the problem is, when you take away the spiritual element, the quote unquote spiritual element from it, and so you have somebody that's just approaching the world in a very materialistic way. They might call themselves a Muslim. But if you look at their behavior in practice, that is not necessarily in line with the Islamic tradition. But these people have a fitrah too. The fitrah is a very, very powerful driver. It's what gets people to seek the spirit. It's what gets people to seek the divine. They want to connect with Allah subhanahu wa Taala. So what do they do? They go and they seek the quote-unquote scholars. Well the problem is now your scholars have been removed for a better part of 150 or 200 years now from the material sciences they haven't been studying these things and in fact the ones that even to this day if you want to go study the 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 way that schools in the arab world and the muslim world are designed the highest grades the guys that get the guys and girls that get 96% in their high school they become their doctors final grade, They're the ones that go to to medicine. And then underneath them, they're the engineers. And then underneath them, business school. So all of these, you know, material sciences, they're the most intelligent. The guys and the girls that barely got out of high school. That's your sharia school, graduates. Well, we went from a situation where we had somebody to have – I mean, Allah subhanahu wa Taala prefers people over others. I don't buy into this business of, oh, we're all exactly equal. Some people are just more intelligent than others, and just the, that's just the way that it is. So we had people that were really intelligent at one point in time, and they're the ones that were concerned with religion and theology and studying Islam and being scholars. Two, people that barely cut it now becoming that, doing these things. And so they're not doing – and not only that – they're also not studying the latest and and the most advanced things and the developments and all of these things. They don't know much about it. In fact, if they know anything about it, it's very simplistic, very superficial understanding of the issues. And and they do it on their own time because it's not integrated within their curriculum. They don't know anything about it. And if they study theology, what do they study in theology now in sharia schools? Things that really have no concern with us nowadays. They study things about all of the different sects and movements that arose at the early onset of Islam and the debates between the Ash'aris and the Maturidis and the Kulabiyya and the Jahmiya and all of these things. And you know, it's interesting from a historical perspective, but is it really relevant to what's going on nowadays and all the developments that have taken place ever since then? I doubt that it is. And so what do you have now? You have Muslims now resorting or relying on Christian apologists which is kind of sad if you think about it. Um, so now they go to Christian apologists like Alvin Plantinga and others to basically defend their faith. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to rely on a Christian to defend my belief in Islam. And my Muslim scholar, when I ask him about things, you know, take something as, you know, the controversial subject that people associate me with, evolution, for example. Take right. evolution, for example. Um you go to any, I have yet to hear a single person, and I don't care, I'm including every single person right now, and I know this sounds arrogant to some people, but I have yet to hear a single individual from those who speak about evolution who actually understand what the issue is and what the theory is actually is about and the defenses that they're putting up that people are emotionally going along with because the thing is people don't even understand them, but they're emotionally believing in that, because this is like a really, you know, they speak with authority. There's a difference between being an authoritative figure and speaking with authority. You can speak with authority and have nothing behind you. And just convince people, just like Trump, for example. Trump speaks with a lot of authority, but everybody knows he's an ignoramus. So there's a lot of people that speak with authority about this thing, but they haven't actually delved into this matter. They're not really equipped to do it. And there is an element of the, the scientific method that they don't understand, but they, whatever, I'm just gonna read some things. I have a couple of degrees that uh, you know I can use to put a title in front of my name. and. If you have a problem, go read this work by this Christian author. So now, for an average Muslim, put yourself in the shoes of you know a 20, 21-year-old Muslim who's in school now, is in college, and they're looking at these things. My imams, my scholars, their understanding of the issues, the things that they talk about, I can actually refute everything that they think they're, they're, they have truth value in. I can't respond necessarily to some of their Islamic declarations, but certainly when it comes to their declarations about politics or science or economics or whatever research they think they're, they're quoting, I can definitely refute that because I'm studying it now actively and they haven't. And when I'm being told that there is these things that I we don't, you know, pr- theological problems, well, we don't have a response. Go read this work by the Christian author. So now you have the situation of, hmm. So if the Christian is gonna support my Islamic tradition, but the Muslim is saying that the Christian is going to hell, and neither one is really speaking to my issues, and I don't have a holistic integration between what I'm studying in school and what I'm experiencing from the intellectual, the public intellectuals and the books that I'm reading that are making the bestseller lists, and my Islamic education doesn't really give me meaning, and, but I have the fitrah, which is really driving all of this. I, I'm seeking the truth, I'm seeking connection with the divine, but that connection is not being supported by a rational foundation. So it relies on an emotional foundation. So now mm-hmm. my belief is going to be rooted in personalities. It's not going to be rooted in my own sense of certainty. It's mm-hmm. going to be certainty in the personality. So if that personality, all of a sudden, something comes out of that personality, either true or not true, it doesn't matter, but something that attacks that personality. The reason people break into sects about it is because there is now an attack, not against the personality per se, it's against my faith. Mm-hmm. It's against my belief in mm-hmm. my search. Cert-
2: it's my faith my embodied cert- in that person.
0: Exactly. It's just embodied in that personality. That person, you know, I, I always say to people, a good teacher, you know, when I teach, um, you know, when I was teaching uh, before at the university and whenever we touched on these subjects, I always had students, non-Muslims, who come up to me and say, what do you believe? I, I did it in such a way where they couldn't even make out what I was. And I did it in such a way that I forced them, I could see it in their eyes, that they're trying to think about it for themselves. Because a good teacher is one who's going to give you the tools and the equipment. It's like, teach a man, give a man a fish and you fed him for a day. Teach him to fish and you fed him for a lifetime. A lot of the personalities now, they're giving fish. They're giving these small tidbits of edutainment, spiritual attainment, whatever it is. And people are going with it and that's where they have their certainty. That's where they feel because their fitrah is driving them. I want to believe. But I don't have a rational foundation for it. I'm getting the, all this onslaught from all these different sources, but now I have this figure that speaks with authority. I can't judge for myself whether that figure is really authoritative or not, because I can't encompass all of knowledge, but it speaks with authority. And it, it lines up, it meshes with my emotional kind of need that I feel like, alright, it's meshing, it's, it's speaking to my fitrah in some way. I don't know about the rational, it's speaking to my fitrah. That personality gets attacked. You're attacking me now, and my sense of certainty. So now my defense—it's an emotional defense. I don't care. I need to protect my certainty because if you shake my certainty, you're going to shake my whole being, and that's a problem for people. And so you get the sectarianism, mm-hmm. um, and so and it splits up between personalities. The people that like, you know, teacher or scholar figure A, will support that one. And the ones that like figure B will support that one. And you'll just have this rampant sectarianism between everybody. Mm-hmm. And the truth gets lost in the mix, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a very good point. That's
0: just uh, my quick analysis for what's going on.
2: No, I, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, we really appreciate that kind of uh, analysis. And, and it hits uh, home, of course, um, you know, with that kind of separation that you mentioned. Uh, you know, when you uh, said that colonialism uh, separated, uh, you know, the material sciences from the spiritual realm in a sense and leaving the spiritual realm in, in a kind of you know it, it, i'm always thinking about myself as a, you know the ulama of tasawwuf always kind of uh, uh, divided uh, man into different elements, uh, you know, Ruh, Al Qalb, Al Jasad, Al Aql, Nafs. So, all these yeah. different elements, when it comes to it, you know, you, you're kind of telling me, okay, we separated the mind uh, from uh, from the Ruh or from the Ruhaniyat or from the issues of, uh, 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 or, or from the Qalb, Al And then uh, I'm thinking about edutainment, you know, where entertainment in itself is really uh, kind of uh, intertwined with Whatever the nafs is inclined to, I'm just I just want to be uh, you know uh, you know entertained. I want to forget about it in a sense. I want to have that kind of uh, you know dope in a sense to for, uh, to keep me kind of away from uh, the painful reality that I'm uh, dealing with. You know, religion is supposed to, uh, or at least in my point of view, Islam is supposed to arm me with enough uh, you know willpower and enough, of course, uh, you know spiritual education to deal with my issues and to to be able to tackle, you know, how I deal with my uh, work environment, with my family environment, how I raise my children, how I deal with my wife or my husband, et cetera, et cetera. I'm here, you know, uh, faced with a new reality, uh, you know, that uh, religion is becoming an extension of the nafs because it's being connected to, Entertainment, you know, is it's part of entertainment. So there's Allah, no teskia. Yeah. So there's no no teskia anymore. You mentioned one part of it. You know, when you uh, uh, Barakalafik, you know, mentioned the idea of separating the mind from the qalb. Now we are separating, or now we are shifting the entire thing by having our religion coming from the nafs. So, uh, and, exactly. and that is embodied with, with the with the realm of uh, edutainment. So, in addition to that sectarianism that's happening, when I look at these comments, when I look at the way that we, you know, defend or attack, uh, you know, uh, you know the certain elements or human elements that are involved in an issue, you know, we come from such a nafsani, you know, kind of drive, uh, you know, it just like takes everything either mm. in, in defense or in uh, or in attack and almost like no room for nuance no room for wisdom no room for uh you know a true fitra to reflect that's
0: true and it, it's it's it, it, and it goes back to this idea of your certainty is not is not uh rationally supported it's not inherent within you it's embodied in these personalities so you know, an attack, if your nafs is being attacked, and that's the, the nature of the nafs is terrestrial. And the terrestrial part of you, when you're being attacked, what do you go into? Fight or flight. It's not a rational response. You're just going to go into a fight or flight mode. And for a lot of people that you'll, and that's actually what you see. We see the manifestation of fight on these comments where they go against each other. But there is also the flight There's a lot of people, there are a lot of people who have not said anything, but they are also just the same in their sectarianism in the sense that, I don't know what's going on, I'm emotionally traumatized by this, and I'm not going to say anything, I'm fleeing from this situation. But there are a lot of people, I guarantee you, there's going to be a lot more, You know, a larger number of people who have not participated in these comments on social media, who are very traumatized by what happened, and they don't have an answer or response to it, and their faith is shaken. By what the, by what they're seeing, because they thought their faith represented something, and that thing was basically shattered by this drama.
1: And that drama also just tires people to the extent that they just like, I don't want to deal with this. I'm right, just going to leave.
2: Right. I mean, uh, yeah. What about this uh,
1: whole? You know,
2: I I guess you know, uh, the, the masses, the fandom. You know, the 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 whole uh, kind of uh, like you kind of get some sort of skewed in your perception we I mean, were like well everybody is saying this so it must be true you know and 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 this is like uh, in my mind you know i guess we were kind of uh, w- when we approached you uh muhammad about uh, you know this um, uh, episode is just you know like how is it that edutainment or you know if i can i want to keep harping on this uh, term but you know how is it that the world that we are living in in terms of our islamic education is really kind of uh you know elevating these personalities to such a pedestal you know that is uh you know kind of i guess doing to 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 any of the uh you know is damaging the other uh, avenues of you know trying to um I, I guess promote some sort of a sense you know uh, am i but is it, isn't isn't, you... isn't
1: isn't i mean not dinner, but isn't a lot of this is is natural. I mean, people have always elevated people. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have always, you know, if you even go to, like, the tariqa system, I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's an elevation of the sheikh in that system, mm-hmm. To uh, Obviously, you know, there's a... There's well, a, there's the,
0: the people, it depends why they elevate. You have to ask right, yourself, exactly. people have always elevated people because of something that they have, a gift that they have. So if you go back to Suq for example, before Islam, the advent of Islam, the Arabs... Who got the biggest, you know, the muallaqat and, and, and the poets, you know, the people that won. Like it's almost like uh, uh, freestyle battles that were happening in the market back then. You know, the most erudite, the most eloquent, the most, you know, the the, retor- the rhetorician. These are the guys that were getting the their names up. Um, so if you're in an oral culture the one who has the best orality, the best orator is gonna be elevated because that's gonna be considered the most intelligent. In a print culture, the person who's going to, let's say, write something that resonates with the most number of people that creates the best abstract images that people can relate to, that's the person that's gonna get uh, elevated. In a media culture, however, and note though, in an oral culture and in a print culture, typically speaking, because they both can generate just garbage, but they both, but a, for, a, for a lot of them, for somebody to get elevated in either one of them, in many cases, you have to have something to offer. You have to be an intelligent person who actually knows what they're talking about, knows what they're writing about, so that you can produce content in that way. In a media culture, you don't have to know anything.
1: Yeah, you can be famous for yeah, being famous, could, right? You could
0: just be famous for being famous. And that's what the Prophet said that one of the signs of the end of time is, As'adun nas, luka ibn luka'. You know, the most happiest of people, the most famous of people is going to be this luka ibn luka', which in Arabic is referring to like a nobody, the son of nobody. And so you have the situation where if I have like a media conglomerate behind me right now, And I just, you know, get my work together and just put together the most exquisite, high quality type of video content that touches on. I mean, there's people that actually do research on this, you know, how to make a video so glossy, so clean, how to produce the material. I mean, you have even in movies, a big, huge component of movies is the sound score, the music background. That's what drives people's emotion. So you can, gener- you can construct, constructing a five-minute video can take hours for some people to put together. And once you put it together with the right soundtrack, with the right emotional kind of appeals and things that tantalize people, you can rise to the highest of the high. And then when you meet that person in real life or try to have a conversation with that individual in real life and try to probe them further, like, all right, so you, you promote yourself as this. Let's see if you are as you are promoting yourself. In many cases, you'll find that will fail. That individual is not what they seem to be. Um, so a lot of cases, they will be. Uh, who knows? Uh, you don't know. That's the thing about media. The thing with print and with oral culture, it, you get what you get. You know, you can be pretty certain that that individual, who's, unless they're using a pen name, unless they're using a, like a ghost writer, like. Trump, for example, used ghostwriters for all his books because the guy can't even can barely read. Well, let no, alone that's write. the art of the deal. So <laughs> yeah, so you can if you have ghostwriters, that's a different story. But if you are the individual who actually is responsible for writing these things or for saying these things in an oral culture or in a print culture, you can be pretty certain that that's gonna be the that that person is who they are. But in a media dominated culture, you're not sure of that. And the problem is in an oral culture. If you're going to imagine yourself, just stick, you know, there's this really funny video of um, uh, when the Dave Chappelle show was on. I think it was when he did like uh, if social media comes to real life or Facebook in real life. Yes. Or the Internet is in real life. And then he's just walking around and he's got like buttons and all of these like ads coming up. So it's just it's all scattered. um, You know, nothing is connected with anything. Um, It's just sound bites everywhere. So imagine somebody who's going to stand up for an hour and just speak in sound bites that are not connected to each other at all. They don't have a coherent argument, and then they just sit down. Just sound bites and and like lack of connected thoughts. Same thing with writing. If you're going to write a book, usually unless you're writing a book that's like like Ibn Qayyim al jawziyyahs al-Khatir, which is like I'm kind of stealing that idea from him to for my book with scattered thoughts or reflections, where you just have these. You know, there is a general theme that deals with like Islam in the modern world or just uh, if reflections on the Quran or reflections on hadith or whatever, that that could be a general theme and then it's just everything kind of falls under that theme. Uh, but generally speaking, if you're going to write a book about a subject, people are expecting you to have a coherent sequential, you know, like I need to be taken through this argument bit by bit, all the evidence laid out so that I can follow you here and, and get the full story. Uh, but if you're gonna, but in social media and in media in general, you don't have to do that. I mean, there's a video about um, Noam Chomsky being asked like, why doesn't he get on TV? And he said they tried it once with him and they never did it again because number one, he's gonna tell people something that they're not used to. The usual message that gets promoted in the news media, Noam Chomsky is gonna say something contrary to that. But then he has a problem. People are gonna ask, what does he mean by this? I need more. But the nature of the medium does not allow for a more long coherent, long-form, coherent argument to be la- laid out in front of them. You can just turn it off, and you can just move on to another channel and wait for our messages from these, uh, from the sponsors, or whatever the case may be. So that's how you can get people to be famous, have a large following, and not necessarily have anything substantial to offer. If you push them.
2: Well, I mean, uh, this is really also another powerful connection, um, you know, uh, that comes into this vast net of what we're talking about. But I wanted to, uh, you know, bring you back to something else that you mentioned in terms of uh, people of authority or uh, those who speak of authority. And, um, uh, of course, uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, know, the new age authorities uh, via social media – It seems that there is this power shift, you know, uh, from uh, those who are speakers or the, uh, you know, kind of uh, knights of the, uh, you know, uh, roundtable of uh, edutainment. It's kind of shifting now to uh, new age authorities. You know, the the new – if we're talking about the Muslim community, we're talking about maybe the new Muslim – Twitterati, uh, Twitterati power. You know, uh, you know certain people who mm. are quote unquote activists, and that's another subject, of course, with uh, activism and how it's perceived and whatnot. But it seems that you know, especially when it comes to you know who brought who down. You know, uh, it, it seems that also uh, social media is empowering a whole lot of uh, new quote unquote authorities who are just by the power of their uh, social media following are skewing the thoughts, uh, uh, you know, presenting new realities, presenting new judgments uh, or uh, if you will, presenting new ways of dealing with, you know, uh, any issue, whether it's uh, big uh, and it's uh, by the way, these issues, especially the, the things that happened in the past, you know, few weeks are actually really true issues and they need to be dealt with. But the way that it was brought about, the way that it was, um, you know, uh, kind of uh, dealt with was far more dangerous and far more, um, you know, in my book, despicable because it makes more damage to the society as a fabric uh, than the actual act itself or than the actual problem itself. So, you know, can mm-hmm. you comment a little bit on this uh, shift of power, if you will, between those who were, we were talking about superficial speakers or maybe people who had a little bit of knowledge, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and, and by the way, you know, this is not against a certain number of speakers, you know, uh, all of us are bound to, you know, fall into these things. And that's a different su- subject, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects who he wills with his rahmah, you know, uh, you know, and his, uh, you know, lots, but. What I wanted to mention is what about those who are kind of taken by the new age power uh, you know um, i guess uh, social media actors uh, how do How do you kind of navigate through this? How do you keep away from uh, you know uh, this kind of madness
0: i mean it's it's hard to um there's two sides of this, right? There, there's the side of the actual person, the the so-called activist, the one with the large platform on, say, Twitter, for example, that has you know tens and thousands, uh, tens of thousands of followers, or hundreds of thousands of followers in some kind, in some cases, where they are, you know, the the way that they got to that position is because of, um, and it's not through any. I uh, just need to be careful here to say that I don't just to to have the better opinion of people. I don't think people are consciously necessarily doing this, if they're sincere Muslims, Absolutely. that they consider themselves sincere Muslims. I don't think that they're consciously aware of themselves doing this. But, you know, when you tweet, you can, you, you're, you're, it's, it's, the, brain, the human brain is a really interesting organ. That's why I studied it, and that's why I continue to study it. It has this, um, if you will, like an algorithm that it generates that whenever you do a behavior that uh, results in a positive impact on you, it registers that and the way that you go through life is by taking these things from conscious learned in things into unconscious just automatic behavior so everybody when they start off their twitter unless you're a celebrity who's never been on twitter and just signed up on the first day and gets you know 100,000 followers most people start off with like one follower two followers and every time you get these followers you get this kind of hit of you know pleasure dopamine centered kind of reward system taking place and you start, your brain, it's not that you consciously know this unless you're a professional Twitter person who just, that's all they do. Uh, most people just recognize that some tweets, they're going to get, if I, if I tweet this thought that I have in my mind, um, it's going to result in a lot of retweets and a lot of likes and then it will result also in more followers and my platform will grow. Again, I don't think people are consciously doing this. They're just, their brain has picked up on an algorithm that if I behave in this way on Twitter it's going to grow my platform that much more. If I do it the same on Facebook, it's going to grow my platform that much more. And in doing so, it starts to kind of drive a trajectory of approach to issues, a trajectory of how to address issues, when to address issues as well. All of these things come into play. And, and that's basically being in a state of ghafla about yourself. You know, people talk about being woke, activists being woke. You've got to be woke to that. What is driving your behavior, and how are you engaging in this? So there is that one side. On the other side, you have the followers. You know, as a you know, as somebody who follows people on Twitter or Facebook, whatever, I can look at that, and then I can say, hmm. Well, that individual certainly gets a lot of like attention from people, and what they say seems to get to resonate with a lot of people. Um, I think the uh, the Dilbert. I don't know if you got the cartoonist. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think uh, his name is Dilbert. He was on in this uh, – I can't remember. I think it was on the Tim Ferriss show. And uh, Tim Ferriss asked him like what gets you to um, uh, draw these cartoons? Like how do you know a joke is funny? And he said uh, something like to the extent of if it if it gives me a gut reaction. Mm. If I think about it too long, I don't uh, – but if I get a gut reaction, then I know it's going to resonate with a lot of people. And so I go with it. And that's how he built his – you know, platform and how he built his following. So the same thing goes with this. A lot of people responding to this, I read the tweet or I read the declaration. It's given me a gut reaction as a follower, as a reader. Now there is psychology research that shows, I can literally show you two lines, line A and line B, that are not the same length. They're obvious. You don't need a ruler to see that they're not the same length. But if I have enough people around you telling you that they are the same length, you'll start to doubt your own certainty. And you will start to say, huh, maybe that that's true. You can apply that a little bit. You can transfer that into Twitter following and activist following. You can watch these activists that get platforms, they get to give speeches, they get to go on these marches and these protests and whatever, and they have large followings. And sure enough, you see it like, well, that that certainly resonates with a lot of people. That certainly is going to make me more likable. And if you're in a state of ghafla about yourself, what you're going to end up doing is fall in line. You don't want to go against the grain. If you say anything unpopular, you're gonna get ostracized, even if it is completely sensical, completely rational, not offensive even, but if it doesn't go along with what people are saying and doing, then you're gonna so what what do you end up doing? Maybe they're right. You know, all these people can be wrong, sure enough. And the what compounds this problem for Muslims is that's a lot of Muslims, you know, believing the same thing and doing the same thing. And so you have This kind of movement with, if you follow Muslim public opinion over the last 10, 15, 20 years about a lot of of social issues, what do you find them doing? They're becoming basically indistinguishable from leftist liberal type of morality and social issues and where they stand on things. And you ask them like, so where, you know, and, and the arguments that they'll put forth, they're all exactly the same as the liberal left wing type of thing, because that's what, is getting play in social media. That's what gets you the following. That's what makes you popular. That's what makes you acceptable. And for Muslims also, because we care so much about academia and being educated and whatnot, well we know that academia is dominated by liberals as well. So you certainly can't hold you know, opinions that are controversial about some issues. And so it, there's all of these things happening and again, I don't think people are consciously Willingly you know altering their beliefs and their faith and and going along. It's just the nature of the human being as a tribal creature Not to want to seek to have any animosity or any problems especially with people that are scratching your back a lot of the time You know I scratch your back you scratch mine So if I come and stand for your rights, you better stand for mine you know and and because of the nature of the medium how you get a platform how you grow these things I think it's also the same kind of argument that uh, we mentioned earlier about the economics of you know, uh, Muslim organizations that are trying to appeal to people. You give people what they want. So the media, social media, they want liberals. That's how you're going to get a large following. All right, let's be liberal. And they're the ones that scratch our back as well. So let's do the same thing for them until it starts to clash. And this is going to lead us to a problem because it will get to a point where Muslims are going to say, actually, we now this is the line for us. We're going to have to draw a line here, and we can't cross it anymore. What are you going to do at that point? You're just going to be left hanging, high and dry. Well, I mean, so, I don't know. It's, I just tell people to be careful with these things because, and and the world is not social media. You know, that's the virtual world. It's it's really funny, the way that people behave, and there are studies on this as well. The way people behave when they're behind a screen and the way that they promote themselves and the way that they act and the way that they would, you know, speak and all of that stuff is actually completely different from how they will be in real life, except under one circumstance, if they become emboldened and get together. And if they get together in real life and continue to act in the same way that they act on social media, then you get real problems, such as the alt right movement that you see, ISIS, you know, these things start in the virtual world. But uh, and if they get and if they don't have a check, if nobody checks it, in the real world that this is unacceptable, then you're going to have this devolve into a place where you don't want it
1: to go. You know, a lot of maybe a lot of language we've been using this so far in the discussion. Uh, we're, we're not trying to overgeneralize. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, people who are doing it, yeah. um, uh, and and especially you know in terms of of scholars and and uh, and scholars to Islam, uh, who are have a have a very good intention of what they're trying to do what i, I wanted to, to ask was we're living in this um, world where social media is the currency um, that you have to um, you know you have to acquire and you have to use uh, to get your whatever message um, is out there so um, for a lot of uh, scholars or teachers uh, they've have to their credit they've tried to employ social media to Bring this message of Islam or bring their bring their message to uh, broader audiences. Now, obviously, we've already identified some of the, the the difficulties in navigating the social media or navigating even just the the general media centric culture that we're in. But what is someone? What is someone to do? I mean, if someone is a is a is a teacher and they're trying to, um, uh, you know, uh, present the message uh, of uh, of the religion, what other avenues are there for them to use? So, I mean, I guess I'm I'm turning it back. I was like, you know, we're doing a lot of criticism of like edutainment. We're doing a lot of criticism of uh, social media and and this this media centric culture they're in. But what other option do we have? I use.
0: Yeah, I use social media as a tool, not an end. So I use it just to, you know, if you uh, like, my podcasts are typically at least the, you know, an hour to hour and a half or two hours long. You know, this is where I'm gonna I, I use social media to direct people to these things. I use social media to direct them to. Um, I don't share short snippets unless they're somewhere available that somebody's done for me or whatever. Then I'll share them, but otherwise, for my work. I'm using all of this to get people to, for example, the project that I'm doing with Endless Book Club where I will go through a whole text with people and like have a monthly webinar that's an hour and a half to two hours long sometimes where I'll discuss these things. Um, so uh, social media is just if I'm giving a lecture or a talk somewhere um, and or a course or a seminar, whatever the case may be, it's to get people to these things.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, guess, I guess what I meant was more that you know, okay, so you have a trailer for like an Islamic course, right? You know, it's like very yeah. well done. There's like, you know, music or like the humming, as we said in the beginning. And, and it's just, you know, it just gets you really going four minutes. I'm like, yes, I want to attend this conference or yes, I want to attend this class. Mm-hmm. Um, for from an organizational standpoint, like if you're an Islamic organization, educational organization, or if you're an individual and head of an organization, a scholar, or a teacher, that is the currency that you have to spend to get people into the door. Yeah. I mean, it, okay. otherwise, yep. it, you know, it's just like, you know, we, everybody complains about the Friday sermon or Friday khutbah, right? And yeah. if it's not like, you know, our, our mm-hmm. dear friend, he said, like, I'd love to just be able to go and go, go in front of the khutbah and my khutbah would just be reading a long hadith from like Sahih Bukhari. And that would be the khutbah, right? But like nobody yeah. would, nobody would like it. You know, it has to have that no. charisma. It has to have that, you know, that umfa has to have maybe a little like light joke or something like that. That's what the people want. So if you're someone who is in in Islamic education, if you're someone who's a, a teacher, you have to, uh, you feel pressure at least to, to 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 be so in that frame.
0: It. The thing is, I, I look at these things. I look at uh, all of these tools as the difference between doing wudu and doing tayammum. You know, you do, wudu, you know, that's the original. You have to actually purify yourself with water before you enter into a state of prayer. Um, tayammum is when you don't have the water, so you just use dust or use the, you know, stones or whatever, so that you can enter into prayer as a license for you to enter into prayer, so that you can perform. But once you get, but your task is to try to get access to water. Um, so you know, I we criticize these things in the sense that. If they become your primary source of education, if they become your primary source of Islamic knowledge, then I think you have a problem. I think you should try. And I've yet to see, unless you're living in some rural city, town, you know, of a thousand people somewhere where you don't have access to anybody, but, you know, a lot, most Muslims live in metropolitan cities. That means you have at least one traditional scholar living in your city you may not know about them because you just haven't looked, you haven't asked enough, you haven't searched around. But th- you have teachers around where you can go and you need to make that your primary, if anything, even if they don't give you anything new, just being in the presence of people that will teach you how to be, to have adab, to have proper decorum and mannerism and purify your heart just by being in their presence, that's enough, honestly. You don't need to get new, and you can get new information and new knowledge from other places if you if you need to. But for me, for example, I, you know, if I try to take a tally of what I've learned, if I take a, like a quantifiable tally of what I've learned, the quantity-wise, majority of it wasn't in the presence of my sheikh, for example, mm-hmm. my teacher. I, m- most of it was me just searching and doing my own thing. But quality, like the most impactful knowledge that I feel that I have was from the times that I sat with him. You right. know, even if it was just studying something really basic. well, well Just the, being in the presence of that teacher, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, those times when you had that kind of sohbah, you know, with the teacher, you know, they actually formed that kind of... Container that we that really contained you know yeah. the rest of the information that uh, you know um, you know that you acquired uh, yourself from Sheikh Google you know but uh, yeah yeah and a
1: lot of the education is not actually from what they say or even what they do it's it, just actually just from exactly being in the presence right being it's, in it's their a, presence it's connection
2: right and then of course you learn through conduct you learn through you know uh, and that's the whole thing of terbia you know like how you know we're lacking this on a massive level when it comes to social media as well so everything is kind of intertwined and and it's mm-hmm. it's more of a you know ping pong you know coming back to, uh, between the positive and the negative and you know like you mentioned you know we're so used to tayammum and you know and, and we we forgot about the wudu. you know when it comes to that kind of uh, you know, reality, uh, you know, if it's the water that we're living in, uh, that we're, you know, um, uh, I guess uh, swimming into, like Sidi mentioned, everything is done through social media. What's the way out? Uh, and you I know. would say that it's not
0: necessarily just the organization.
2: You can't put the onus on just the organizations and the teachers. Mm-hmm. People yeah, need yeah. to
0: also take responsibility for this. Right. You as an individual, Muslim, average Muslims that are just listening to this. They need to take responsibility for their own education as well. So they have to take it upon themselves to say, like, this is going to require effort. You can't, you know, things, easy come, easy go. If religion, like social media, Islam through social media is easy come. That's why when the first crisis hits, it's easy go. You see people just divide into sects and doing their thing and just following their nafus. But if you actually like, and you don't value it that much. It's like, whatever, I can just go online and just figure it out. But if you have to drive for 40 minutes, you know, on the weekend, you got to drive one way 40 minutes to go to your sheikh's uh, house and actually sit with them and, and study something. Spend an hour or two hours and then come back. And that's your only time. Then you need to do that. You need to take responsibility for this. You spend money. So many people spend money on their vacations, those who are a little bit more well off. And they'll go and have a fun time in their vacation and stuff, you know what? Do something for Allah and instead of spending that money on a vacation, why don't you actually go and find one of these, you know, there are so many different retreats that different organizations are doing for mm-hmm. a bit more extended period of time. Three weeks, four weeks, two months, however long you need to do it for. And there's different programs in Morocco and Egypt that you can go and actually sit down with actual teachers and spend an extended period of time that just, and divorce the world during that time. You know, enter into a khalwa, uh, in a sense. Where you just sit with these teachers and study and, and get a little bit of teaching from from conduct and terbiya. And then you can come back into Jalwa. You know, being, uh, the, it's like Shaykh Abdul Hakim Murad said, you know, the average person goes from Khalwa to Jalwa. But the saint is in Khalwa while they're in Jalwa. <laughs> Right, it's like it's khalwa is being in a seclusion, jalwa is being in public and with the people And so the average person is in seclusion and then they go back into public and then they go into seclusion And that's kind of the state of most of us, that's what we do We go into these retreats and we study and then we come back into the world And we go back to the retreats to have iman vitamins as Imam Zed calls them You get your iman vitamins and then you go back again into the world But the saint is the one who while they're in Jallu, while they're in public, they're actually in seclusion internally. They feel it. They're with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the whole time. So you need to take responsibility. Like, uh, you know, this patronizing model of the organization needs to take charge and the mosque needs to take charge. You know mm. what? لا يُكَلِّفُ اللَّهُ Of
2: course,
0: yeah. You know, The Qur'an is all about this personal responsibility that you need to take charge of your own affairs. Right. And you need to recognize. And you know, the truth is out there. And
2: and by and the way, yeah,
1: that's really you know that's really what's been um, I feel lacking, especially in recently. Is it's just been this this very one pronged approach of attacking, uh, let's say like you know, the celebrity culture, culture, entertainment, and, and yes, there's things that I mean, we've already talked about some of those problems there, but uh, you, you ha- very rarely we're turning it back. On, uh, no, on and people need
0: to take charge and responsibility mm-hmm. for their own affairs. You go and you apply for schools,
1: you search. It's really funny
0: how we look at the world. We search for the best school, we apply, we do all the work and I know these are the requirements to get into this program or this is what I need to do to get this job and I'll do all of the effort. Nobody ever goes and attacks the school and saying like, how come you're not recruiting more of the students and how come you're not making it better for the students and how come you're not the companies, how come you're not making it easier for the employees. I, Ivy League schools and Fortune 500 companies, they're not trying to make things better or easier for people to get in. People need to strive to get into these things. All right, so yeah, Muslim organizations, we have, you know, they have their responsibility. Like when I do my work with Endless Online, I try to construct my things as best as I can with what I have and I do whatever I can to try to deliver a message that I hope would resonate and would stick with people. But beyond that, I'm not gonna feed people the material. You know, you I put the people have I've had people ask me, like, oh, the books on the list, are they just gonna be sent to us? Are they gonna be given to us? Are they gonna be the-? No, man, you go buy the book, read it, come with me, we'll have these forum discussions, we'll have our webinar, we'll discuss it, you ask questions, I'll answer you, but you need to take charge of this. You know, that's one of the difficulties by the way that people have in medical school at the start. You know, they're being fed their yeah, education totally fed. throughout the whole time. Yeah. And they go into medical school and they're like, oh my God, there's so much material. What's going on here? How do I handle this? You know what? You're an adult. Like, you know, self-directed learning. You know, you don't have to yell at the professor for giving you a terrible lecture. Go look up the resources.
2: Well, I mean, uh, like the ulama said, knowledge is sought. So, you yes. know, when it, when it comes to, uh, you know, us, I guess, you know, especially, you know, like for, for everybody who's listening, it may seem that we're, you know, kind of pointing our guns to towards the, uh, you know, the establishment and joining the call-out culture, I guess, in a in a in an indirect way. Uh, but uh, at the same time, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, the issues of finding out, you know, uh, you know that we need to do that kind of khalwa you know, we need to do uh, that kind of uh, self-reflection and. I guess, uh, motivational, uh, I guess, find ourselves in, in a way that can drive us to seek knowledge. And uh, I spent,
0: I spent so much resources, man. Like people look at, if I looked at my, you know, uh, the amount of money and resources and time and that I've spent in traveling and trying to find people and trying to study this and study that and go after this. And after that, I spent a lot of resources and people's like, well, you know, the average person outside would look at this and think it's silly. But to me, it's—I would do it. I would do it double the time if I have—if I have to. I would spend twice as much money because to me, it's that important. It's about my akhirah. You know, it's about my relationship with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So it's that valuable to me. I'd rather go spend my time when I have a break, not on some beach somewhere or some vacation somewhere. And yeah, saat You know, you enjoy yourself here and there, but majority of my time, if I have it, it's like, man, I'm going to spend it on this because this is where I can get it. So I'm going to, I'm taking responsibility for my own behavior, you know, do the same.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everybody has to play their part. So, I mean, the organization has to, you know, focus on quality and coherence exactly. on, uh, you know, the the individuals in the organization have to be working for, you know, rectifying their intentions. The person on social media is doing the same. The person who's the just sitting at home Uh, you know, juggling work and kids and family uh, has to do the same. It's all about, you know, what each person rectifying their intention and and trying to do the best quality uh, work that they can do.
0: And that's how we support each other, you know, like it's, it's it's, it's so disheartening, you know, like when you hold a, a seminar or a lecture and stuff, and it's not because we're after numbers, it's just like, I'm going to dedicate the time. I'm going to put my time aside. I'm going to prepare all of these things. And usually when I teach or when I discuss anything, it's more for me than for anybody else. So even if, I've actually had situations where I would have a class, announce, date, everything, and I'd go. And I've had situations where I had zero people show up, literally nobody. And you know what I did? I started the class on time, and I taught it as if I was teaching people. And literally half an hour, 40 minutes later, one person would walk straggling in, you know, just showing up. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. It's like, it's fine. I'm still go. I'm doing my thing because this is about me and it's for me and it's for me to learn and to, and to really get a better grasp on the material.
2: That's why I'm doing this. But that was, the, you know, this uh, CD, this was the biggest, uh, you know, uh, or the freshest uh, example of khalwa that I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I've
0: actually lost count of how many times that happened and you know what? I look at it as like Alhamdulillah, this is actually like training from my own nafs. That it's not about oh, the
2: people. Allah.
0: I made a commitment to teach at this time and I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna just go ahead and do it and that's it. And it is what it is
1: if people show up, mashallah. Otherwise, murajat al Majaneen as the Mauritanians call it. I mean that that I mean that's that's what's immensely liberating about it, right? Is that you know, it's just that you know, it's just like, you know, even from the the basic uh, element of Tuzkiyah, like when you restrain mm-hmm. your nafs and you subjugate your nafs, that's when you actually get the most alib- result uh, and yeah. you're liberated. Right? right. It's the same idea, with, like, especially in the Islamic education realm or the, this edutainment realm or whatever we want to call it, you get really focused on certain metrics right you mm-hmm. get focused on okay yeah. social media engagement you get focused on how many people are attending and, my course and, and you get yeah. focused on that and you mm-hmm. and you, and it's like and then you're competing with others right. and then you lose sight of that like listen if if like one person came and that that one person that the benefit that may accrue from that the barakah is there is can be immeasurable compared to a thousand and people. And I'm
0: getting people now that I, I'm just meeting for the first time that I never even thought I would ever meet in my life. And they're, you know, college students and stuff and they're telling me like, man, I've been, like it's your work, the things that I've read from you, like the lessons that I've heard, I've heard your Aqeedah lesson stuff. That's really what's been keeping me going, JazakAllah Khair, I'm like, wow, you know, like, it's just, you don't realize, even when I thought I wasn't doing it, you know, I was doing it by myself, Mm -hmm. it turned out to have been benefiting somebody out there in the world, so I just do it. The only disheartening thing about it is that it's not so much about the numbers for me per se, it's about like, I feel like I have this really valuable thing, like I'm trying to transmit to people, you know, I want to get you closer to Allah, this thing has helped me get closer to Allah, so I want to share it with you, and that's really all what it's about. So you get this. We need this. We need that. And people want to attack the organization. But they're like, all right, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do like a three, four, five day seminar. We're gonna put it together for you guys. Come, show up. You know, this is what we need you to do. Support us so that we can actually put this thing together because this stuff does cost money to put together. But at the same time, show up just so that we're transmitting to somebody.
1: Right. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you
0: know, like right. it's gonna die with us or what?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, 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 even, even support, you make good point, you know, to support those events that you may not necessarily be inclined to go towards, but just to support, you know, your fellow brothers and sisters and what they're trying man, to
0: do. I'm watching, you should see on Patreon. It's so like, like on Patreon, people have bought it. People spreading atheism. Mm-hmm. They're getting support by like, man, you see some of them, 30000 40000 $60,000, $70,000 a month To spread like falsehoods. And then you look at like, all right, so where are the Muslims at? Like just to support some of the work and stuff. And you're like, all right. And then they wonder, like, how come we don't have scholars? And how come you know what? If I have to spend a lot of my time, you know, if I'm trying to be a scholar, my energy is being now divided between different things and some of them just to make my own livelihood. So how are you gonna expect me to dedicate my time to something that you're looking for? and you don't want it you want it for free. So how am I gonna eat? How am I gonna have a house, you know, and, and, and a roof over my head? How am I gonna have to support my family and stuff? None of that is possible. So I have to go work. So all that there's only 24 hours in a day. So sorry guys, like you know, we can't these organizations, a lot of these organizations I have yet to come across a single organization where the people running it don't have full-time jobs. Whether they're physicians or engineers or whatever the case may be, and it's because they need to. The community is not supporting these organizations in a way that allows them to dedicate their full time to it. They're volunteer run, so sadly we can't do as much.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's all there's also like this culture of just us being haters, really. Like I mm-hmm. mean, like everything, like you know, we just nobody's beyond criticism, and there's constructive criticism, but it's just this 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 culture where we just hate on every group or effort and we just criticize we don't support and then we'll just go and then we'll criticize the other one and hate on the other one we're not really supporting anyone we're just sort of just you know getting the um the that uh nafsani nafsani high of just being able to criticize other people and and not really uh, you know do any benefit for anyone
0: we're so selfish when it comes to that stuff because you know i i come back to this hadith i believe it's in bukhari but uh, the Prophet ﷺ had this Islam Bedouin Islam. man come to him and he was like he was a sincere man, sincere. And he wanted to enter into Islam, but he was having trouble with the five daily prayers. He's like, I'll give you three. Five is too much. And he sallallahu says to him, Fine. So the sahaba are like, What? How like I don't understand. Five we we not only have to pray five daily prayers, we gotta do Qiyamul Layl, we gotta do all of these things. And this guy just comes from the desert. You know, it's saying three and you give him three. And he sallallahu wasallam just like, you know, just chill. You know, he's not going to be satisfied with three. Mm. All he needed was to just be attracted enough to enter. And once he starts to pray, he's not going to be, he's going to need to do the five. And he's going to be internally driven. And that's more powerful than an external force imposing it on him. So mm. there was this recognition with the Prophet He's the best teacher. You know, you can't get a more complete teacher than a Habib alayhi Alaihi Wasallam. He treated people as you know, to what as their conditions allowed for. People's spiritual levels and their inclinations and their personalities—they had different levels. They had different takes on things, and so he encompassed all of them. He included all of them. So I get people coming to me like, "Oh, you got to be following this or following that." You know what? At the end of the day, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says, "Inna Allah jami'an illa every sin is going to be forgiven, except for polytheism. So as far as I'm concerned, that man or that woman says, la ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu I'm good. However they want to be or whatever, yeah, we try to kind of get them, you know, you try to get them to improve and to work on themselves and do all of that stuff. But I don't try to impose on people and hate on them that they end up, sometimes I might find that maybe that personality is more inclined to a way that is taught at another institution, another organization might mesh better with that person. I don't need you to be with me. Go to that other organization. They'll help you out. You know, your personality meshes better with that way of doing things. So go for it. That's the way they do things. It's still Islam. It's still within our fold. It's still, I'm good. Go ahead. You don't need to be with me to be a Muslim.
2: Inshallah. Yeah, we're, we're going to include that kind of silence <laughs> just so that we can reflect. Yeah, we're here. <laughs> So, I,
0: I don't know. I'm personally, man, like the way I look at it, I don't need followers. I don't need people to come to my classes and stuff as far as I'm concerned. I've I've met. Alhamdulillah, I had the opportunity. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala has blessed me with uh, exposure to so many different things in this life and living in different locations, in different cities, in different countries and interacting with so many different types of people. And what I've come to the conclusion of now is people, you know, everybody has a mashrab. Everybody's got a well that they drink from and they're all from with the within the well of Islam I remember uh, we were in Mecca a few years back with my mom and um, She was she was just asking me about the schools the madhabs and stuff And we just happened to be looking overlooking the Kaaba. We're inside the haram And I said to her subhanallah, you know, it just came to me at the time I said you see how that Kaaba mom like, you know, it's four sides and when the prayer is called If you look at each individual group, they all look like they're praying in different directions. If you look at them in isolation. But when you zoom out and look at all of them, you notice that they're all praying to the same direction. They're all praying towards the Kaaba. It's just that they're so close to it. They're look. they so close to the Kaaba that if you look at each individual on their own, it appears to you as if they're all praying in different directions. But when you zoom out, you notice, subhanAllah, they're all praying to the same thing. So for me, you know, there are some people in the world that the only way that they would be a Muslim is if they're a Salafi. This madhab business and traditional and be a Maliki or a Shaab, that doesn't mesh with them. They need Salafi. That's the way they are. Aqeedah stuff as well. Salafi. All right, man, go ahead. MashaAllah. Be a Salafi. Be as Salafi as you want to be. Other people, they need to be in a tariqah. They need to be a Naqshbandi, they need to be a shadali, they need to be something so that they it, it speaks to their soul in a way that just keeps them within this religion. Fine, go ahead, be whatever you want to be in that. You're still within the fold. I, you know, some people are a little bit more orthodox, others are a little bit more, whatever the case, just you know, just encompass it, let them be, you know, just let people be. And if all my tasks, if if when I leave this world, if the only thing I was successful at is allowing as many people, despite their differences to be remaining within the fold of Islam, alhamdulillah. I don't need people to be following me after that or nothing.
2: Right, and, and I wanted to, to, to piggyback off of this um, and, and kind of say, you, know, you mentioned you know, people, as long as we're all collectively within the fold uh, of the deen, then uh, inshallah, everybody will be, you know, within Allah's rahmah. But uh, again, you know, in retrospect, to connect it to the previous points that we discussed, you know, yes, uh, you know, uh, if you're going to do this, then you're going to be from that mashrab, you're fine. From the other mashrab, you're fine. But the idea of just fluffing over social media as a mashrab, it's not a mashrab. You know, no, I, guess. I don't think uh, so, social media uh, yeah. is not a mashrab. When so, I say a mashrab, when right. I say like a source, exactly. I'm
0: talking about within the folds of like traditional. You know, right. you're studying with people exactly, and,
2: yeah. exactly. So this is this is what I wanted to mention. Uh, you know, Ahmed. So the, the the idea is that you know you're exerting this kind of effort. You know, uh, you know anybody who you mentioned from these schools and different groups. You know, they're exerting an effort. You know, and it, it like you mentioned, go out there. You know, seek a teacher or uh, read a book. Uh, you know, be in khalwa, you know, and you know, it's something kind of you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad when he mentioned, you know, uh, there's the khalwa uh, and then there's the those who are the khawas are they are in khalwa, even if they are in jelwa uh, It seems that uh, you know we're trying to what we're trying to do in, in at least in this podcast is to tell people. Hey, don't bring your Jalwa into your Khalwa, you know? Don't be the opposite of yeah. what sheik Al Hakim mentioned, you know? Allah. So you yeah, mean, yeah. So this is how it just kinda of resonated, you know. I was like you know don't bring don't put a selfie you know while you are in the masjid you know in a sense of course i'm not meaning that literally i mean that figuratively you yeah. know so don't yeah. don't bring the jellwah into your halwa you know the halwa is the way for you to exert that effort to to kind of face yourself to to kind of charge into this path of salvation uh, if you will and mm. and and i guess this is where i wanted to you know kind of meet you know uh the real you know kind of uh path with the I guess um, uh, uh, the um, cyber path, or however you want to call it, because at the end of the day, it's it's a reflection. It's it's something good. It's a tool. It's something in the hand, you know. Uh, but it should not be, uh, you know, uh, the the path itself. So um, definitely, and uh, you know, of course, uh, we appreciate that kind of uh, you know uh, wrapping, if you if you will, you know, connecting to the roots. Even right, on. right. Yeah. So uh, I mean, I
1: mean, as as a as a final, I, or, uh, as we wrap up, a final question. Uh, you know, a lot of the concepts, Ghadar, you were talking about, and and, and Muhammad, um, for a lot of our listeners, or for a lot of uh, a lot of people these may be uh, foreign ideas or foreign concepts because there's a certain level of understanding of some of these concepts. Like, you know, like a lot of stuff you're talking about, like one, uh, one person I was thinking of was uh, the great companion, uh, Salman so al-Farisee, right? Mm-hmm. And my first mm-hmm. thought, and hearing you know what you guys were saying was that a lot of people were just going to be like, well, listen, I'm not like Salman al Pharisee. Salman al who, like, you know, he went through multiple, this long life journey of trying mm-hmm. to seek the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And he, he, mm-hmm. he came across corrupt um, uh, 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 preachers or corrupt uh, um, mm-hmm. priests, right? And mm-hmm. and then, he, but he kept, yeah. and he, and he kept on going, and again he kept on going. He kept going until finally ended up as a slave in in in, um, in 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 the Arabian Peninsula, and that eventually he came across the Prophet yes, But so a lot so. of people are going to respond and say that, listen, I'm not that person. I'm not like the Sahaba. I I. I can't deal with that. I don't even know where to start. I I don't understand, like even this idea of uh, of like you know even turning off like you know this media and just being alone. So like how where is the introductory where is where does the introductory process to that begin? How do you draw a person individuals into that realm so that they become they can become ready to make that exploration on their own.
2: I mean b- before I let it uh, 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 let you see uh, like comment on this question but uh, it's always kind of it seems to me that we find that like even in my own family and even sometimes I find myself you know kind of falling to this yeah, I'm not a sahabi I'm not a you know, some people say I'm not the prophet yeah well he's and I always like remember when I was uh, you know a kid in, in school in you know, our terbia Islamiya teacher he was like if somebody tells you this, always respond back to them saying mm. You know that the prophet was uh, you know a point of emulation he, he was yeah. he was the ultimate example he is the prophet so you can't just resign yourself and say you know uh, hey I'm not the prophet man you know don't you know don't put that on my shoulders but it's really not that way it's just that you know you can step towards the prophet you know that he is an example. Salman was an example, and, uh, you know, yes, I, I'm not Salman, you know, uh, but I, I, I hope to be, you know, I, I at least on, you know, I, I, th- I throw myself, you know, like that uh, man, you know, of the Israeliyat, you know, like like death came upon him, but, you know, I threw myself into that land, into the land of the Akhiar, you know, the land of the people, and hopefully the, uh, and hopefully the Malaika will be like, Ya Rabbi, you know, you know, check this guy out. You know, maybe you know, <laughs> maybe with that kind of intention, you know, you'll be saved. Sometimes you don't step much, you know, into right, the path. Right. Sure. Absolutely. I but mean, that's what that, we're hoping for. We're just it, hoping for exactly. just that
1: one moment, yeah. even in our life, where where we can be recognized as someone who is trying to be on the path of truth. Right. I mean,
0: well, it's like the kirami bil kirami that emulate the noble ones, even if you're not. Amongst the noble ones. Because in trying to emulate them, you'll have a success in that. And um, I can't remember the companion that said this to the Prophet ﷺ, but when he recognized that there was different levels in paradise, he was concerned and he said, Ya Allah, mm. يعني, you know, uh, how, how am I going to be with you in paradise? Yeah. Like I, I I don't have anything. I, I can't do all of the things that you do oh. and the other companions do, but I love you. That's all I have. And he ﷺ said, Al mar'u ahab. You know, the person is going to be with the one who they love. So even if, if your actions are not going to get you there, just in loving. And then, you know, we emulate people all over the place. You know, it's, just look at the way people act. You know, you could always pick out. It's just it's a human thing, by the way. I'm not saying it is a negative thing, but it's just a human thing that people that are elevated in culture, you will find people that, uh, generally speaking, will be copying them. You know, even the way that I speak, people that are close to me, who kind of follow a little bit of the islamic scene and stuff and i know the scholars that i deal with and talk with and studied with they see some of the actions it's like you're just like so and so and you're like so and so and even in the mannerisms the way that i move my hand and the way that i do things so you know you can nobody's saying you are a companion just try to be but where do you start i would say um uh go to your local i know i had i had somebody that you know, some of the, one of the people that listens to my stuff and they were like, oh, I really want to study the Maliki school. And you could tell that it's just out of love because they, you know, oh, you're a Maliki. I really want to be a Maliki, but I don't have access to that. All the teachers are Hanafi. I'm like, be a Hanafi. You need to first go to your local school scholars, local imams, people of knowledge, and they are available. They're there. Even They don't have to be the imams at the masjid, by the way. Sometimes these scholars in your community could be just working regular jobs. And you're just not aware of their existence and you have to ask around to find out. I found out, like, even in Victoria before I left, there was like a muhaddith who had come from Saudi Arabia to just one of these bi'tha one of these uh, scholarships to do his PhD in computer science or something. But this guy was a muhaddith. I was like, wow, and he just kept to himself. He wasn't teaching at the masjid. And the only way I knew about them is because I just, I was asking around. I was like, I wanted to study this and that. And so they just directed me. So the same thing goes with, um, with your local scholarship. Don't just dismiss your locality and think, oh, we don't have any scholars because you don't happen to see them teaching at the masjid. You have to ask around. And if you do find one, start basic. If you haven't studied anything, you need to start at the most basic level. Take a basic text with that teacher and learn your fiqh first of all learn your acts of worship properly your ritual acts properly take a text on on tazkiyah tazawuf whatever you want to call it so that they can teach you how to purify yourself and how to to purify your character Um, and start off with that and then if you have the uh, access to the means I would say look for uh, one of these I know that in the States it's a lot more uh, available than it is in Canada for example but uh, there are some in Australia as well Look for um, these extended retreats that they have. You know, Sometimes they're two weeks long, three weeks long, where you can seclude yourself away from the world, sit with teachers, and just, again, continue your study. Uh, there's something that you can access on a weekly basis in person. I'm, all of this that I'm saying right now is in person. I can't stress this enough. Try to find somebody you can sit with in person. And then the way that you can see if this is having a positive impact on you, if, it's, if, if what you're being taught, is bringing benefit to you. You can reflect on your conduct, your feelings, your behavior towards your family to start off with. If your conduct with your family, your parents, your spouses, your siblings is improving, they're finding it easier to be around you, they're finding you that you're becoming a better person, that you're elevating, then you know that this is somebody you need to stick with. Because they're impacting your behavior and your being, your presence in a way that is positive.
2: And um, vice versa and so, as well, and vice and versa. Vice versa yeah. yeah, if they're making you hate your surrounding, and if they're making you isolationist, if they're making you, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of uh, angry more uh, against your surrounding exactly. in a way that is, you know, hostile in a way that is uh, toxic. Yeah, then, I, this
0: is really yeah. this is such an important point, Gaidara. I'd like if it, there's a difference between being concerned about wrongdoing and about sin and transgression being concerned and hating it in your heart, that this is not something that I that I approve of because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has approves, and being hostile to the people and angry with them. You know, he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you know, Rasool again, rahma. like you mentioned Hasana. Like, he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is getting literally stones thrown at him, rocks being thrown at him. And Jibreel, alayhi comes and he says, hey, I got the angel of the mountains here, if you want, you know, these two mountains, you could destroy these people. Just say the word. And what does he, sallallahu say? Let him be, you know. Number one, la They don't know what they're doing. They, they're they not aware of the harm that they're inflicting on their own selves by throwing rocks at me. And number two, maybe from their generation, their progeny is going to come people that will say, la ilaha illallah, muhammad rasulullah. So he had this love for the people despite them being enemies to him. So you have to have that concern for the people. It's it, this, That Such an important point. You know, if you're finding that your teacher, whatever source that you're getting your Islamic knowledge from is making you hostile towards the people, that's a red flag for me at least. I don't know. Absolutely. I mean,
2: if if the Prophet was Rahmah, if he was a mercy, uh, you know, uh, embodied on this earth, then whatever that it is that I'm witnessing – Whatever it is that I'm Mm -hmm. witnessing, you know, of hostility or toxicity, uh, you know, you know, engulfed in a in a in a thobe of, you know, Islam is, is certainly not uh, prophetic. And subhanAllah, yes. like you're mentioning this, uh, you know, and and maybe uh, at least for me, uh, CD. and I'm not trying to, you know, kind of uh, close it out, but, you know, mm. it, to wrap the things that we talked about in the beginning, you know, uh, to wrap all the things that, it, it, like, if somebody has, uh, you, know, uh, um, you know, a natural, you know, uh, sound fitrah, you know, and he's, or, or she's kind of repulsed by at least the way that the wrong is being called out it, or mm-hmm. being repulsed by the, uh, the way, uh, the ugliness of, uh, you know, uh, of how we are conducting ourselves either on social media as Muslims uh, or, uh, or maybe, uh, uh, you know, in front of others, like sometimes in classrooms or sometimes in, uh, you know, certain masajid. You know, we hear a lot of the showdowns that are going on in the masjid. Any of that, you know, uh, you know. I always remember what Sheikh Hamza mentioned like probably mm. about 11 or 12 years ago in an Ikna or Isna convention. He said that Allah is beautiful and he loves beauty. So whatever that strikes you of this deen in a way that is not of beauty, then it is not from Allah.
0: Well, you have two things. You have the hadith of Prophet with Aisha when the when the who was it? Was it the tribe of many Israel or the way they say assalamu alaykum when the Prophet was passing, that they said May poison be upon you, which is a you know just take away the lamb letter from it. And what does Aisha respond with? Wa wa She just went back like multiple folds. And he ﷺ says, you know, why <laughs> Aisha, you know, just take it easy. مَا كَانَ اللُطْفُ فِي شَيْءٍ إِلَّا زَانَهُ وَمَا كَانَ عُنْفُ فِي شَيْءٍ إِلَّا شَانَ Gentleness, beauty is not going to be applied into anything except that it adds it in beauty. And harshness is going to just add things in ugliness. And he and salam is being talked to by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Imran when he says فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضَّاً غَلِيظَ الْقَلْبِ لَمْ فَضُّ مِنْ حَوْ you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those companions, your supporters, your closest people, it's because of the mercy of Allah that you are gentle with them. And had you been harsh and hard-hearted with them, those people that are supporting, they would have dispersed away from you. So I would just, um, I would just caution people that when it comes to um, religious teaching and, and, and spirituality and all of these things when you're approaching it, there's a difference between being firm and asserting what is true and what is right and just being a rude person. Who doesn't care for people's feelings? Doesn't care for people's emotions? Um, just wants to trample on everybody. Uh, has hostility towards the world. Everything is terrible. Everything sucks. Um, you know, having that type of an approach and not looking at any positives to anything. Wanting to just antagonize with everyone. Um, you know, not having the approach of that wisdom is the lost property of the believer, which entails, by the way, that you know, despite all of our responses and writings and critiques against, let's say, liberalism or feminism or whatever, that nothing that spreads in the world spreads except that it has a kernel of truth within it somewhere. Otherwise, it would not manifest to this degree because the fitrah of the human being by nature rejects absolute falsehood completely. It always looks... So, shaitan, for example... How did he lure Adam and Eve, وسلم, to eat from the tree? He said, أن That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not prevent you from eating from this tree except for one of two reasons. Either you become two angels, so he's appealing to their spiritual nature, or you become, uh, you, you can live forever. Well, he's appealing to, the fitrah recognizes the spiritual part, and it recognizes that There is a point where we're going to live forever. We're going to be taken into account. This thing resonates with the fitrah. So, shaitan is able to lure them through using truth in a twisted way. So, even with these ideologies that are being spread around right now, you know, if you have somebody that's all their shuglu shagil, you know, all their concern all the time, 100% of the time, is to just refute everything and anything that is being promoted by any of the isms out there, and they don't point out to, well this is a positive thing and you know they're right when it comes to that and that's true, you can support this thing and you know this thing we can kind of do away with but if you don't have this nuance being applied where you can take al-hikma you know, even the way that the Prophet ﷺ calls it it's the lost property, lost in the sense that it's in the middle between all of this thing that you have to sift through so I would just say you know when you're studying with people just watch out for these things and look at how it's impacting your presence and your serenity and your prayer and your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and most importantly how it's it's impacting your relationship especially with your parents and then by extension the rest of your family because these are the people that you're going to feel most comfortable with and these are the people that you're going to show your you know let's say your complete being with so if your complete being including your faults your faults are being reduced. Your positives are being increased. If that's not improving, then maybe you need to find another teacher.
1: Just if you allow me, to just ask another question, um, more of a practical. This might sound silly, but uh, you guys were talking about um, the steps you need to take. Um, you know, seeking a teacher, a local teacher, and 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 going that path. Coming out of the ed- this edutainment, you know realm that we're in. When you go into this local teacher mode, or you go to the, lo- the local mosque. There's just some certain psychological things that are going to happen when you're trying to do that process. Number one. um, You're not going to be able to sit still. (laughs) Exactly. Attention span. It's boring. Um, Some things are going to be like you're not going to light certain things they say or you hear. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh. So I mean, obviously, there's certain things that need to develop, like humility. a certain a lot of things that you have to to fight against yourself. What are some yeah. advice you would give about dealing with that from like a psychological and then spiritual perspective about starting that process? Because that's like a, I think a big a big hindrance um, for for people yes. in, in starting that journey.
0: I would say just be be aware of it before you go into it. Just recognize that you're going into a setting that. It's like going into the gym I'm not going into the gym to start getting a massage In the gym I'm pushing heavy weights and it's going to hurt And it's going to be tension on my muscles So the same thing is going to happen when I go and actually study properly I'm going to be told some things that are not going to And that's why the Prophet said None of you truly believes until your own whims and desires Become in line with what I've come with That tells you that As you are on this journey, your whims and your desires are not going to like some things that you're going to be taught. So you have to be aware of that and so you're not in a total state of shock about it when you start. Um, And just make the commitment. You have to make a deal with yourself that this is not like a New Year's resolution or anything. This is something you're going to take with you for the rest of your life and it's going to be a pursuit that you're going to constantly go with. And so, yeah, I'm going to commit to this once a week or whatever it is that I'm going to be able to do and sustain consistently. And, um, yeah, it's not going to be fun for the first little while. But just like somebody who hasn't been in the gym for a long time, you take it easy the first time. I would say don't jump straight into, you know, you haven't studied anything in the Islamic tradition and then all of a sudden you want to study Sahih Bukhari. I would say, no, slow your roll. You know, take 40 hadith, for example, something small, and do, do just like one or two hadith a day maximum, so that you can just build your stamina as you can get into a pace where you can withstand a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And no matter how old you are, this is not something for just young people. It doesn't matter, even if you're a really old person. Um, there's a that picture that went viral, couple viral, again, the term. but there's this picture that re- was really popular. Of this... How old was he? Something like 80 or 85-year-old Turkish man who was memorizing the Quran in a madrasa in Turkey. Yeah, subhanAllah. With kids. Mm-hmm. You know, with little kids. And so he's still going at it. So I would say don't worry about how old you are or any of that stuff. Just recognize that you're going to have some feelings about, oh man, this is going to be boring. I'm not going to like it. But you know what? Um, one of the reasons that things are boring is because we don't recognize direct application for. They're not practical immediately. But... Just have faith that they're going to come useful at some point. You may, not, you may not be aware of it right away, but there's going to come a situation where all of a sudden these things that were boring to you when you were studying them, they're going to come resonating back and they're going to be very applicable at that moment. That's like, man, I'm so glad I actually sat through that. Some things are just necessary, um, not evils, but they're just necessary beneficial things for you. They're going to help you in your development, your spiritual development, your religious development, your uh, connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even if they don't feel like they're exciting you and tantalizing your reward systems, who cares? You're there to learn, and this is a journey that is not going to be easy. Jibreel alayhi salam, when he was sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to look at what he did to paradise, initially when paradise was created, he like, man, Jibreel was like amazed by it. He said, I can't imagine anybody you not know, wanting to get in here. But then he, he Allah, Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la, put al makarih, things that you may not be a fan of around it, mm-hmm. obstacles, things that you got to get through. And Jibreel was like, I'm worried that people are not going to want to get in here. The Prophet said, Inna Allah la ghaliya," that the merchandise of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la is expensive. We work so hard throughout all of our lives to attain so many things, and nothing that is worth having is ever attained easily. It's always through toil and hardship and things. Well, why do you, you know, it's out of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you really don't have to do that much to enter into paradise if you really think about it. It's not that bad. But you want to get closer, you want to attain higher levels, you want to really like take this seriously. Well, you know, you know just roll up your sleeves and get into it.
2: I'm glad that Salim uh, posed that question to, uh, that you answered this question about what to do you know when you find difficulties in in a in a masjid because if it was me I would be like well did you try using some more humming in the background <laughs>
0: <laughs> You know what that has its place you know at the end I love it when at the end of a lesson and stuff you know I'm I'm going to have it in, I have it in my will that mm-hmm. in my funeral I want Quran recitation followed by the burda I want people to do salawat. That's what I want in my funeral. I don't want crying. You know, people can cry and whatever if they feel so moved. But I want Quran followed by the Burda. And I want salawat on the Prophet ﷺ. Anybody that comes to my funeral, I want salawat. So, you know, you need to have these things and they need to be, you know, present. Because the nafs likes that. So, you just give it a little bit.
2: I'm going to do a plug for myself now, Sidi. Mashallah, go for it. (laughs) Astaghfirullah. But, uh, I mean, uh, that was very, very, alhamdulillah, um, at least I felt that we danced around so many different topics. But, uh, you know, that's, I guess, uh, the beauty of speaking uh, to a guest who's got uh, many uh, different um uh, I guess uh I like ke- ke- kal- hadiqa, you know ke- uh, uh, like we we got flowers from every beautiful mm, yes. smell. Um, so so, You're so embarrassing me man. Just make back. a draw for me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> <barakallah> <laughs> feekum, May Allah, uh, like Allah, uh, Allah make it easy for you in your endeavors and uh, uh hopefully that will make us uh, you know uh you know, more able to, I guess, follow up with you, inshallah, in the future on some of the things that we can, you inshallah. know, maybe derive out of this uh, session. Uh, and uh, maybe if the listeners are, you know, kind of uh, having some sort of ideas to add on this or questions that we can kind of build on in the future, we welcome that feedback as well.
1: Yeah, I would like to thank uh, Dr. Zilan for being on the show, Raidar for uh, joining us today, uh, and of course to all the listeners. Um, you can always visit imanwired.com for um, the latest podcast episodes and uh, articles. If you're listening to us on iTunes, please leave a review, comment, uh, give us a five-star rating, and send us our feedback. You can tweet um, at us at, at imanwired or email us at uh, imanwired at uh, again, uh, all your uh, all this feedback helps in, in bringing this um, podcast to, out to uh, um, uh, uh, a large audience. But I guess the audience doesn't matter anymore, right? If it's just one person listening and there's Baraka in it, then that's all we exactly. should care about, right? So, yeah, I guess. But still, from my perspective, still. just please share the podcast <laughs> and, and leave a review yeah. and leave a comment and everything like that. Uh, we we'll hope to get, uh, see you again on the next podcast. And uh, until then, uh, peace be unto you, you. Alaikum.
0: Stay with us for a few minutes of bonus material from the Iman Wire podcast. I remember talking to Imam Zaid before, um, a few years back, because I, I, I still, to this day, I get detractors. But I remember asking him before, because was, it, was, it was starting to get to me. I, and it was when I was doing my PhD at the time. And I said, Sheikh, you know, people are telling me, like, you know, just focus on one thing. Just do your PhD in neuroscience. Stop it with this all this seeking of Islamic knowledge. Really trying to be also a theologian scholar and at the same time this you can't do these things all at the same time. And Imam Zaid is like his words still ring to with me. I, I have him like the Arabs say, the Egyptians say, Hutta uh, you know, make it an ear ring for you so that you always remember it. That people always people will try to bring you downward to where they are. People don't want, when they see people doing multiple things and excelling at them, that intimidates them because it reminds them that like, oh man, you could be doing a lot more with what you have. So he's like, what are you upset about? You're just doing two things. You're just doing a PhD in neuroscience and you're seeking Islamic knowledge at the same time. That's just two things. You're not doing a lot of things. So relax. So, and now I'm starting to see how they all intersect and they all come together. And if you look at Muslim scholars of the past, Muslim scholars of the past, if you look at what they wrote about and the things that they engaged in, they were multiple things. They they weren't just a one-trick pony, if you you know, for lack of a better phrase. But now you have people that go into uh, Sharia school or like Islamic studies, and that's all they do. And then they come out after six, seven, eight years. I remember there's an Imam, may Allah preserve him, at in in uh, in Vancouver, uh, the mosque that I go to when I'm there in Burnaby. And he did the iftat for a year. After he finished his study, he did iftat for a year before he just like he's done. And then he went and he wanted to be an imam for a while. And, and he's just kind of progressing through his life, however he, you know, wherever things take, wherever the roads take him. And he said to me that he noticed something that was interesting. People that do iftah, that's all they do. And, 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 and when he says all they do, meaning they just sit in the library. They just sit with books they get the questions and they go through the references and that's all they do. And that's it. And he's like, so when you hear – and the way he phrased it was really interesting. He says something like, when you hear some crazy fatwas sometimes coming out, it's because they're sitting in the library. They're not yeah. out there with the people. He has
1: the ivory tower thing. You know yeah, you know like what, what I
0: call them, CD?
2: life. You know what I call them, City. I call them outdated human computers. Yes, yeah, they are. So it's like you remember that Microsoft. It's it's a Microsoft uh, uh, system. OS system is like two thousand.
0: <laughs> oh, <Bro>, that's. <laughs> I was gonna say like even older than that. Do you remember those big, huge, square floppy? Uh, yeah, I, don't, I might be revealing my age with this. <laughs> like I come no, from a like era the where this. it's like
2: MS DOS. You know, you. I remember. I remember MS DOS. I hated it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, so it's like he said when you hear these crazy fetwas coming out of people. Is because they're not out there with the people. So they just, they go through the books. And I had a question actually, somebody asked me, he was trying to share this thing and he was kind of almost rebuked for uh, drawing a lesson from it, from something from the Sira. And the rebukation came in the form of, well, Sheikh so-and-so, in his commentary on this text, uh, he said that this is the way that it is. And so I'm just, you know, letting you know so that you don't go out and say these things. And so he was he was a little bit troubled by it, and he's like, did I say anything wrong? You just asked, like, the thing that I just mentioned, is there anything wrong with this? I said, well, the problem is um, you didn't say anything wrong. You What you said is actually in line with the hadith. It's in line with the implicit understanding that you can derive from it. It's not contradicting anything from the sunnah. It's not contradicting anything from the Quran. Um, but the problem with uh, so-called orthodox or traditional, so whoever, however people want to identify themselves these days, cause everybody wants to give themselves a label, the way that they approach things is they're so worried about the modern world and the isms of the modern world that when they see anything from Islam being interpreted or promoted in a way that even goes in line with something that some ism is, being, is promoting, They respond to that ism. They're not responding to what you're saying. They're responding to the ism, and so they're trying to, and and they're trying to project. They're taking, you know, we we were. I'm always telling people, do not project modern sensibilities, and modern norms that we have onto the Islamic tradition. That's a very dangerous uh, line of thinking to go in. So for you, for example, to say, oh, you know, I'm a feminist or I'm a liberalist or whatever it is that you want to be. And then you want to take that and you want to pro- uh, project it onto the text and then reinterpret the Quran and twist it and bend it however which way you want so that you can show Islam to be, oh, Islam is a feminist religion, Islam is a liberal. I said, don't do that. But at the same time, don't go into the past, the works of the scholars, as great as they are you know, and all kudos to them and much respect to them and all the du'as to them because they're the ones that tr- that transmitted this tradition. We only know about the sunnah and the Quran and the hadith and all these things because of these people. So you have to elevate their status. Like they, they, they were, we trust them to deliver these things to us so you can't trash them. But at the same time, recognize that socially, contextually, they lived in a different time. And so they interpreted scientifically also. So they're, their take with the lessons they drew you know their interpretation beyond this limits of language i'm talking about just the general lessons that you can draw from something from the text they're colored by their context so don't it's not don't turn islam into a culturally hegemonic force that you want you don't want to project things from the modern time onto the tradition and at the same time you don't want to project things from the past onto the modern times these same scholars as great as they are They wrote laws and rulings regarding slavery. And it was just a – it wasn't – it's almost like people nowadays think of employment as like a given thing. And only recently do people now think about like do you really have to work 9 to 5? Can you change your condition? People are now talking about universal income and and minimum income and all these things. These are new things. But if you go back even 10 years ago, it was – it's like a fish doesn't know that it's in water. You know what I mean? So – these scholars at the time, they didn't know that they were in in a system that basically takes a human being's freedom and puts it under the uh, under the the under somebody else's, where they control it. And so a lot of rulings and things came out of that. I'm not gonna judge them because. That's like judging a fish for a living in water. Like, that's just the way that things were done, and it is the way that it is, and we moved on from that. And actually, you have in the tradition, there is this uh, uh, scholar from Timbuktu, um, Ahmed bin Baba Timbukti.
1: Yeah.
0: His work is only in manuscripts. I haven't seen anybody that's come out with like an actual print edition of stuff, but this scholar from Timbuktu, he, was, he wrote, he's a Maliki scholar, he's got writings about, you know, these are the rulings for slaves and stuff. He was captured, enslaved in the caliph's court in Morocco somewhere, and he was a slave. He was a slave scholar and was considered a scholar, but he wasn't freed until that caliph, that ruler, died. When he died, he was freed. When he came back, he started to write against slavery. He's like, let me just think this thing over again. I was writing from within the box of this is my worldview, but it wasn't wasn't until I was impacted personally by this thing. That I'm a slave now, I've lost my freedom. Now he started to think differently about it. And it wasn't because and it wasn't that he was going against the Quran in any way. It's just that there are some things, you know, when we talk about the trajectory of the Quran with slavery was to promote emancipation, was to get rid of it. Well, you kind of have to be outside of that paradigm, that worldview for you to see that. Right. Right? Yeah. And so it wasn't for it wasn't until he actually got personally impacted by these things and he's like wait a minute there's something wrong with this mata, mata wa you know the words of Umar al Khattab uh, when did you enslave people when their mothers gave birth to them as free people you know Umar al Khattab is a very interesting significant he's a you know people have different you know we we love all the sahaba, but for whatever reason I don't know what it is about Umar but he holds like a special place in my heart and there's something about Umar al Khattab that the Prophet ﷺ said about him, had there been prophethood after him, it would have gone to Umar. There is a reason for that, because he was seeing through things. He he saw things, he was working with his fitrah. So that's what I mean by like just don't project things from the modern to the past, but don't make the past also hegemony onto the modern times. Yeah, there are some things today that are problematic. Well, identify the problem problematic things you know the Prophet ﷺ said that he was not sent except for to to complete noble characteristics and qualities take the positive throw out the negative point out the negative yeah. if your thing says something that's in line with something I'll give you another example I, I just I don't even know how we got to this but I'm just talking maybe
1: we can weave, we, well, we can, maybe we can weave some of this I think some of the stuff might come up when we actually talk about okay what we might be talking about um, I bet. I'm just because, uh, no no I, no, the, no no the, no no, the, I think we need to get warmed up. I, Ghaydar wanted to hear you for a little bit to get himself warmed up. I think he's warmed yeah. up now. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of was like, Subhanallah, uh, you know, the, we we could have just started another uh,
2: podcast just casually, you know. But uh, <laughs> what, what what are you gonna do with these traditionalists? You know, they don't know <laughs> what to Allah. do unless they box themselves. <laughs> you know what? I love them. I love
0: them so much. And the ghira, Allelu. you know, the jealousy that they have, the concern that they have. For the tradition and the preservation mm-hmm. of the Sunnah yes. of the Sunnah of the Prophet, ﷺ, of the Quran, of proper understanding. Mashallah. You know, you cannot these are the people you know, we can we can try to dog them a little bit here and there and point out these things, but you know what? Those traditionalists are the reason why we still have the ancillary tools, the grammar, the proper in- interpretive methodology, all of these things. I might have a problem with how they apply some things and how course, they yeah. might right, understand yeah. something. But you know what? They're the upholders of the tools that we approach this thing with. And so you have to pay homage to that and say like, Jazakumullahu Khairan, This is amazing. Oh, and we are indebted to you guys. So... Of
2: course. All right.
1: is- so I guess uh, we'll start for, for uh, the official part. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Bismillah.